one. What's up, everybody? It is time for another episode of Nuclear Barbarians, and I, your Nuclear Barbarian, am here to host it. This week, my guest is Luca Romano, uh, a man of many hats, who is currently trying to get nuclear into the public consciousness and built in Italy. Luca, how's it going? Hi, I'm at Plotten. I'm doing, I'm doing great. And well, my project is also doing fairly well. This morning, we received very good news. The um, European Commission officially presented the Delegated Act for the Taxonomy of Sustainable Finance and the nuclear is in. Nuclear is in, although there are some, some sort of, how, how do you say that? Some things that must be done for a country in order to build nuclear. Oh, uh, stipulations. Yeah. yeah, some stipulations. Uh, you must use ATF, accident-tolerant fuel, and uh, make sure that you have a disposal site for spent fuel already in the making when you start building your first reactor we won the nuclear is part Amazing. of the taxonomy and uh, united europe officially recognizes it as a sustainable option for climate Amazing. Okay. Well, that is a positive note to kick this off on. So before we talk about like what that's going to mean for Italy and also just what we think that might mean for Europe, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I'd love for the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your background? How'd you get into it? I'm from Italy, of course. My background, I studied physics. I graduated in theoretical physics. Then instead of the PhD, I, I had I obtained a postgraduate master in science communication and journalism. Then I started working in a completely unrelated field. I started getting into nuclear during 2015 when we had the famous COP in Paris and the climate issue became a very, very big one and it's all, all the media in the world started talking about it and, and I got involved that way and I started started studying the issue and getting myself informed about it and soon I learned that I mean many countries were uh, were fighting the battle with the, with a hand tied behind their back meaning mm. they were giving up on a tool a very important tool like nuclear power and uh, so I started getting involved in nuclear advocacy and uh, in uh, 2020, I started my own uh, advocacy and education project on Facebook initially. Then we apparently we became very popular. We, we grew up a lot. Uh, we are currently one of the most uh, popular pages about nuclear power worldwide in terms of numbers. Amazing. Yeah, we have uh, over 50K followers on Facebook, almost 40K on Instagram, and they overlap only for like 7, 8K. And now we are reaching 20,000 on TikTok, which, <laughs> which we started lately. Of course, I'm not doing all the job myself. A number of people came came around and started, hey, your project is really cool, can I help? We are currently 17 people, 15 of which uh, have either a degree in uh, physics or in nuclear engineer engineering and so we do we create content on most uh, known social media in order to inform the public about nuclear and also to advocate for it in uh, policy discussions and uh, that's it really i mean that's i started pretty awesome <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I, when I started the project, it was just, you know, to have something to do during the first <laughs> lockdown. Yeah. It, it, it was April 2020. It was full lockdown. You, it was forbidden to go out of, from, of home. Yeah. So I, I had to spend time somehow. I was home alone. So I started this project. And apparently people were, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who are curious about nuclear power and maybe they're against it, but they feel they 
don't know enough about it. Mm. So when you start telling them, not just uh, be in favor of nuclear power, but hey, look, I'm going to explain you how a nuclear reactor works, what is spent fuel made of, mm-hmm. and, and so on. They start getting very curious and they ask you a lot of questions and the project became successful, as I said, and here we are. That's, man, uh, that brings a smile to my face. I just think that that's fantastic. So as you have begun this advocacy project, and it seems to have really taken off, which is exciting, what, what are some of the things you've learned on the way? both about advocacy and about what people's confusions or fears are, et cetera. Like, what have you noticed? Well, first of all, I noticed, but I I think I already knew that, that people are really, really misinformed about the subject, particularly in Italy, where the the anti-nuclear propaganda fought a very long battle. We we are the first country that had a nuclear program and abandoned it. Uh, Now now Germany is doing the same, but we did it in the, in the, in 1980. So the the anti-nuclear propaganda started back then in Italy and it was very, very aggressive. Uh, and it still is. Uh, I mean, uh, if you if you watch some some TV shows when they speak about nuclear, there's always uh, some people against it that are very aggressive, and people that are in favor of it are normally very shady figures, like, you know, <laughs> like a Mr. Burns from The Simpsons type. Sort of, sort of. There is a professor that they always invite to speak in favor of nuclear, and he's a known climate denialist. So ah. they they are pinning the, the pro nuclear nuclear movement onto onto nuclear onto climate denialism which is of course bullshit so sorry i don't know no if no, I no that's fine full, yeah you can. Language. <laughs> you um, can so yeah uh, the, the tv is really the, on tv is really bad but mm. on the internet things are different uh, especially young people are are much more uh, interested in know, know, knowing more maybe as i said what I learned is that education is really important. When I say education, I mean informing people mm-hmm. on the, the, the technicalities even of nuclear power, because many of them are against it because they don't know enough. And mm-hmm. if you start just telling them what nuclear power is, how it works, and et cetera, et cetera, they do not immediately become in favor of it, but then they start working their mind around it. And eventually, maybe after two months, say, you know, you, you made me change my, change my mind with all the information you provided me. And this is the first things I learned. Another big thing that I learned is the value of hope. I don't know if you are familiar with the, with the expression climate anxiety. Mm-hmm. So many young people right now feel that we are hopeless. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. And I cannot blame them. First of all, we keep hearing that the world is going to end in Mm -hmm. 10 years uh, if we don't cut our emissions, which is not going to happen, which is false. I mean, I I don't want to... Just realistically, that's not going to be how it goes. I don't want to downplay the the, the climate climate emergency, but the world is not going to end in 10 years. And second, governments keep doing uh, so much things, Keep they keep throwing hundreds of billions into renewables and they keep making promises, bigger and bigger promises and nothing has changed mm-hmm. in the last 10 years. The, the, the emissions in Europe declined a, a little bit, but not nearly at the pace that they should. Mm-hmm. So of course, young people are starting to lose hope. And mm-hmm. then you suddenly point them at some examples and hey, look here, this is France. Do, do you notice something? Do you yeah, notice something? Yeah. That's the same energy consumption of Germany, but half the emissions. This is Sweden. This is Finland. So 
this is Ontario. This, these are yeah. all the green county on electricity map. What do they have in common? Mm -hmm. And suddenly they feel hope. They feel, wait, actually there is something we can do. The, the, we, we can act. There is an effective tool to fight climate change. So let's use it. So they become, all the people that were hopeless now become hopeful and they become your strongest allies because they are now very, they become very passionate. That's amazing. So, yeah. So I'm guessing then that you you have through this work encountered many of these young people who are despairing or anxious about their future. It, I mean, they must feel just grateful to know that there's a solution out there. They can point to something and say, "This is it. This is the technology we need to electrify and decarbonize." Things. Absolutely, and they and when they when they discover this, they start going around on all social media platforms, <laughs> co commenting newspapers and and commenting like you know the the, the Greenpeace uh, post that they start flame not flaming they start yeah, yeah. commenting yeah. onto it like they start they want to bring more people onto the cause and that's i think how my my project grew so fast that's amazing i i love that so let me ask this i'm shocked to learn that you guys be tragically germany to the punch of getting rid of your civilian nuclear program what sort of happened there i'm not familiar with the history Okay, so first of all, it's particularly sad because, uh, as I always remind uh, uh, people, nuclear power is an Italian invention. The first nuclear reactor was made in the United States by Enrico Fermi. Enrico Fermi, that's right, yeah. The, the, the Fermi pile. So it's, it's particularly sad because of this reason. As, uh, yeah. We, we, it's something we should be proud of and we are rejecting it. Anyway, Absolutely. the Italian nuclear program was a very, very good one. We were one of the, at some point, we were like the third nation by nuclear uh, capacity, like by installed nuclear capacity in the 60s. We had the most powerful nuclear reactor in the world back then. It was 300 megawatts. Now it will be a small one, but in the 1970s. Still, yeah. In 1963, it was a very big thing like people were coming from all over the world to see this reactor and like you know copy the spec specs uh, to mm -hmm. replicate them we were one of the first nations that had three the reactor of like three three reactors of three different kinds because we wanted to be uh, to to um, build expertise in all the three technologies that were the, the main ones back then, which we were uh, gas reactors, pressurized water reactors, and boiling water reactors. We had one of which in the 80s, the anti-nuclear uh, movement started to, to grow, as it did in all the world, really. You know, environmentalists and left parties with, with, a, very, with, with a very naive idea of, of, of energy, really. Yeah. Uh, actually, the harmony with nature type thing. Yeah, yeah, the, the, this kind of stuff. Honestly, it, actually, the, back then, uh, nuclear Power was also made by the left in Italy. Mm -hmm. One of the main one of the main proponent of nuclear power in Italy later became a politician with the Socialist Party. Mm -hmm. But in the eighties, things were different already. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was Chernobyl. In 1986, yes. which brought a lot of fear, particularly in Europe, uh, probably also in the United States, but in Europe was really panic. People were like, governments were like, uh, do not go out of home, do not eat vegetables, uh, throw mm -hmm. away all the milk, uh, use only powdered milk for two months, I don't know, which was really unnecessary in most continental Europe. I mean, it was necessary maybe in Ukraine and Belarus, but in continental Europe was not really the case. But as I said, it was 
lot of panic. Yeah. One year after that, the left, uh, some left parties managed to, to organize a referendum about nuclear power. Now, the referendum in Italy was not about whether to keep or close the nuclear plants we had. Mm-hmm. It was about technicalities, really. It was, uh, do you want... That's always that... the case. <laughs> yeah, the, the questions were like, do you want that the Italian electric company is able to operate nuclear reactor? In what is one of the questions? Another one was whether to give subsidies to the municipalities that hosted plants. So it was really technicalities like that. Of course, the anti-nuclear faction won that referendum because it was in the post-Chernobyl, post, it was right one year after Chernobyl. So it was still a lot of fear. And the government uh, decided that they wanted to follow the people, as in Italy we always do. Our politicians are not political leaders, they are political followers. They do right. what they feel that people want. Mm-hmm. So they shut the, our plants down, even if it was, it was not mandatory. We, it, was, it wasn't even mandatory to stop building new ones, but governments decided to do so. Wow. Then we had a, a small, a small try. So someone tried to bring nuclear power back between 2008 and 2011. Yeah, then I'm uh, sure Fukushima ended that right quick. And then Fukushima happened mm-hmm. and the new referendum shut it all down again. And in Italy, we had uh, probably the worst misinformation in the world concerning the, the Fukushima accident. We had journalists describing apocalypse scene. And I'm not kidding. that there, I can find you like newspaper articles where this journalist describes Tokyo that is currently empty from people. There are only drug dealers uh, at the street corners, that, <laughs> but they don't sell drugs. They say they they sell iodine pills because oh drug stores drug stores have run out, and all people want to buy these these iodine pills at the corner of the city in Tokyo, and and so on. Like it's this post-apocalyptic is complete fiction. Yeah. There is a there is a website called jpquake.info, mm-hmm. which gathers all the worldwide misinformation about the Fukushima uh, accident and the Tohoku earthquake. And the Italian newspapers are holding like the, the worst scores, the, the scores of the most <laughs> bullshit that they reported on, on the page. Yeah. So, of course, the, the referendum was victory for the anti-nuclear movement. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was also, by to be fair, it was also a very big mistake by the right party who wanted nuclear. But they, they made the referendum in which together people had to vote about nuclear power and about a very, uh, uh, about to repeal a law which was a law that benefited uh, former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi to spare him from his trials. From his, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> so they just like put it in league with something people already did. Exactly, know. exactly. Precisely what you said. So, of course, uh, all Berlusconi haters, which I was. Uh, yeah, sure, totally. And, yeah. and still am. Uh-huh. But, of course, all Berlusconi haters went to vote uh, against Berlusconi and against nuclear power just because it was together with it, it was packed together. I I, 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 I vote, uh, I, I voted this jointly, but I was one of the few because the issue was, were discussed always together. And so. Of, of course, course. Yeah. Uh, people are going to make that connection in their minds and yeah, you know, they're, they're frustrated. They're angry. I mean, I have some friends that say that uh, tragically for all of us, Berlusconi ended up being the politician of the future for many political people on the right. A lot of people looked at Trump and saw Berlusconi as well. And it's a shame that that happened. That's really saddening. And it's tragic to hear what happened in 1980 because you're right. Like Enrico Fermi is somebody we owe so much to. 
for building that reactor and giving us the gift of yeah. fission. I'm going to tell you something. In recent years, I've read about the, the debates in the United States regarding Columbus Day. I know that Christopher Columbus, of course, was a, was a, was a very bad person. And because of this reason, I don't know if you are getting rid of the festivity altogether or not. I, I haven't been mm-hmm. following closely. But at the same time, Columbus Day was established as a sign of friendship between the United States and the Italian community that emigrated mm-hmm. to the United States. So I, I was telling her, why don't we replace Columbus Day with Fermi Day? Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, we, we, it, it could be on the, tw- on the 2nd of December when they activated the, the first nuclear reactor. It was uh, 2nd of December uh, 1942. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I love that idea. We should get that going. We'll get a petition going, you and me, Luca, to make that happen. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So we've, we've, we've come a long way. And now we're at the stage where this green taxonomy has been, it's official now. Like this is it, right? It's there. There's some stipulations, but it's in, correct? It's in. Yeah. Okay. The taxonomy is official. It still has to be uh, voted by the European Parliament, but it's never happened before that the commission uh, makes a document and the parliament rejects it. So, okay. Okay. So, okay. So we, we really think it's going to happen. What does this mean for Italy and for your work as an advocate that's trying to recover nuclear in Italy? I think that in Italy, there's still a lot of work to do. I don't think Italy is going to start, is going to go back on track for building new reactors, at least for some more years. Even if we did, before starting a new reactor, we would have to rebuild our regulating, regulator body, our infrastructure, like all the, all the political and auto, uh, and control instruments that the country must have you know in the united states you have the nuclear regulatory commission the nuclear safety authority and in italy you would have to rebuild all of those yeah there's a lot of institutional stuff that you need exactly because you also need to come up with the parameters of how you're going to site the waste disposal facility you need exactly you need regulators that are going to have the ability to do that, it takes a long time to grow these institutions. And uh, in Europe, we also have not just to abide to the rules set by the International Atomic Energy Agency, but also to stricter rules set by the Euratom Treaty, which is the, the European treaty about mm-hmm. nuclear civil nuclear power. Because of this, uh, it would take us some years to rebuild uh, all those tools. So I'm not expecting any new nuclear build in Italy before at least, uh, I don't know, 2030. Mm. So let me ask you this. What what is sort of Italy's energy profile right now? Do you know? Like what generally does it use to generate electricity and provide itself with energy? So in Italy, 55% of our electricity comes from gas. Mm-hmm. 35% comes from renewable and the, remain, the remaining part is imported. Mostly, it's mostly imported from nuclear countries, France and Switzerland, which is funny because uh, we are more reliant on nuclear power now than we were when we had our reactors. That's amazing. <laughs> when we had our reactors, they had most generated 4% of Italian uh, electricity and now are importing 12% from nuclear countries. So we are more reliant on nuclear now than we were back then. Anyway, this oh, is man. country, this is Italy electricity 
Prafai right now. Then, of course, uh, we have a lot of other energy uses, transportation, heating, in the industry, and so on. Overall, Italy is, is doing decently on its uh, goal to decarbonize so far because we have a lot of very old buildings that we can renew and make more efficient. So save energy, energy savings is doing, mm -hmm. uh, we are doing fairly well in Italy. We are also doing fairly well in renewables. The south uh, is very sunny in mm -hmm. Italy. So solar power has a decent actually capacity factor there. Uh, I'm not against uh, building solar farms uh, or rooftop solar in the south of Italy because it can do its own. Of mm -hmm. course, it's, it's not nearly enough. I mean, I foresee- Right, but it makes that, sense there is what you're saying. Yeah, it makes sense. I foresee that Italy could, could reach- maybe 55% clean energy by 2030 mm, mm. Um, due to a mix of energy efficiency, electrification, and some more renewables. We also have a decent amount of like 15, 20% of hydropower uh, in the Alps. This is also helping a lot because as you know, hydropower is, uh, is a renewable source of energy. How do you say? It, it, it's not... Um, it's not depending from the time of the day. How, how do you right. say? Oh, it's, it's firm. It's firm. It's firm. Yeah, it's provide baseload for you guys. Yeah, it can provide baseload. I, 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 I'm not finding the right word. I said you can program it. You you can. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So you can, you, you can use it to to modulate into backup. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yes, I, I, I'm foreseeing Italy reaching 55% clean energy by 2030. I doubt that we can go much further than that without nuclear power. Yeah, yeah, likely not. I mean, there's just so much, especially as people figure out more and more how to do co-generation with nuclear, where you can use steam for district heat and things like that. I think that will be powerful. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I'm expecting the, well... As I said, six months ago, mm -hmm. the theme was officially brought back uh, in, in the Italian political discussion, which is very good. That's of great. Of course, most people are still against it, but now we are talking about it. We are discussing yeah. about it. It's a debate uh, now. <laughs> it's a debate, indeed. I'm starting to receive more and more invitations to mostly YouTube debates. But now also, you know, radio interviews and some newspaper is uh, is citing my page as a source of information and and just today i spoke with the journalist of a very big prime time italian talk show nice. who wanted who wanted who, who is making a, a piece on nuclear power and he wanted advice on who should who should i interview who should i talk with and he's, he called me because i'm the, the become i became the uh, most sought after source of information yeah. about nuclear. You're the go-to guy, Luca. So I pointed him towards France, for example. You should speak with the guy who have the radioactive waste deposit in their town in France mm. because they're all very happy to have it. You should speak to the to Finland where 60-70% of people uh, are in favor of nuclear power. And uh, you should also speak to the Italian universities where we still study nuclear engineering. And we also have labs for research, for nuclear research. So I think that we are making a lot of progress. We are not at the, fin at the, at the goal yet, still a long way to go, but we also, we've also come a long way. Wow, wow. Yeah, so much of it, isn't it, is just knowing where to point somebody when they start asking, whoever it is. I, I love the story of like, you need to talk to this town, you need to talk to this guy, like that is, I think just sort of behind the scenes, how some of the best advocacy comes about, you know, single conversations with,
people who have a platform trying to figure out what happens next and you can route them to the sources that will give them the best information possible. And it's hard to get there. It's hard to get to a point where you can do that. I mean, uh, for me, it wasn't really hard. So then you're just super awesome then. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to overplay myself. It's just a, my pages my pages grew very fast. Yeah. And I started being invited to do seminars, webinars, mm-hmm. mostly webinars back then because up to one year ago was COVID was still right, right. And, and through these seminars, and of course, I've, I immediately I immediately became close with the Stand Up for Nuclear Italy yeah. um, and, and the, the organizers of Stand Up for Nuclear Italy. And so I've met a lot of people and I, I came in touch with a lot of students from the universities of nuclear engineering and, and professors as well. So I started talking with them. And from that point on, it was, I don't, I don't know, it was... Was just yeah. rolling with the flow. So I'm, I'm regularly in touch with, with professors from the main Italian university in polytechnics. And whenever I need uh, information on something, uh, I, I can text them and ask them, can you send me your paper that you wrote? Or can you point me toward your colleague you, who wrote a paper on this issue? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it, it came quite natural, honestly. That's awesome. So what's next for your organization? What do you, now the taxonomy's in, now that you've gained this head of steam, you know, like you've got a big following now, it seems like it's going in the right direction for you. What do you see on the horizon? Oh, I wrote a book and I already found a publisher. We are currently in the um, editing process and it's going to be published in late April, early May in Italian, of course, but Mm -hmm. who knows, maybe it will be translated eventually. Oh, I hope so. And the book is called uh, L'Avvocato dell'Atomo, which uh, in English, uh, um, avvocato, the words avvocato in Italian means two things. It means both advocate and lawyer. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that uh, nuclear power did not receive a fair trial so far in the Italian media. Mm. So it's time to give him a fair trial. It's time to listen also to the defense attorney. Uh, <laughs> so the book is structured as a trial with many different uh, accusations you know nuclear mm-hmm. is dangerous nuclear waste is a problem nuclear mm-hmm. is too expensive nuclear is tied to military use and then there is the, the part when when i debunk all these myths about mm. nuclear power and uh, and eventually i i conclude with uh, with a speech sort of a simulated speech in which i explain why we today we need nuclear power as a tool to fight against uh, uh, climate change and so this, 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 the book will be the, the most immediate goal. And then hopefully I will, I, I have some financial support from donors. Mm-hmm. I have a Patreon and some small support. Currently, I do, do not make a living out of it, but I hope that with the book and maybe some more support, if I keep growing in the upcoming months and maybe some TV invitation, mm-hmm. I can start, I, I can have a revenue high enough to do this full time. That yeah. would be my, my long-term goal because I'm passionate about this. I think I'm good at this mm-hmm. and I, uh, I, I believe in this. So I like it. I like doing this. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even count it as work. It's something right. that I do because it, I like it. So to make a living out of it, it would be a very beautiful gift. Speaking of outside my project, of course, uh, this year is going to be really big in Europe about for nuclear power. So we're going to watch closely uh, several events that will unfold. Finland uh, just started the their Olkiluoto reactor, which is the first EPR in Europe. Mm-hmm. It's not connected to the grid yet. 
So when it will be connected to the grid, Finland will shut down its last coal plants. And it will be very important because we will be once again able to show that a, a country with a single nuclear reactor was able to halve its emissions. Because right now, Finland gives takes the 13.5% of its electricity from carbon, which makes 50% of its emissions. And the, the single or kiloto reactor will, will provide exactly the same amount of power, which means they will shut down coal permanently. And this is the first thing that's going to happen. The, the grid connection... Outstanding. Is, Outstanding. The, the grid connection is set to be next week, uh, but it will, it will still be uh, 25% power, then they will increase it up to maximum power in June. And then we have the elections in France. The current prime minister, president, actually, they have presidentialism, promised the new nuclear bills. So that there is a, they are campaigning on nuclear power in France for the, for the presidential elections. So mm. it's going to be big. And the inclusion of nuclear in the sustainable finance taxonomy will most likely speed up the nuclear programs of Poland. And the Netherlands recently said uh, we want to build two nuclear power stations, big ones, by 2030, they already have one. And with the taxonomy, they are more likely to find the private, private investors. And the same applies to Poland. Poland has large nuclear nuclear plants uh, and plants, not plants. And they 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 are a lot reliant on coal. So having Poland switch to nuclear would significantly lower the emissions uh, of the whole Europe. Mm-hmm. Poland is currently the second heaviest the second heaviest emitter, I believe, or maybe even the first, I don't know. It's, it's definitely the first emitter per capita. Wow. Because they're reliant on brown coal and they almost have no renewables. It's, I don't, I'm not sure if it's the largest emitter because I think that's still Germany, which mm-hmm. has a lower emission per capita, lower emission per kilowatt hour, but has a higher energy consumption, therefore higher emissions. Yeah, higher emissions, yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see the data from this from end of last year, the rest of this one because they have certainly dug actually, into their brown coal supply i actually believe that i have the the data sorry i, I probably can show you if i can is gonna is this stream gonna be visible or just not uh, for everybody not for everybody okay I, I have a graph if i can show if you want me to show yeah sure let's do it okay so everybody that is just Listening, you can find the YouTube link, which I will put into the show notes. Okay, can you see the graph? Yeah, I can. Okay, as you see, electricity generation in gigawatt hour is the horizontal axis and the Mm y-axis is the CO2 intensity. As you can see, Poland has the highest uh, Y, but but they have a very thin x-axis, so the area... Mm-hmm. of the rectangle, which would be your total emissions, uh, it's going to be lower, actually, than mm-hmm. Germany. Germany, as you can see, is half of Poland, is half of Poland in terms of uh, in t- CO2 intensity, but they have very high electricity consumption, and so they have the bigger area, the bigger area in the graph. Mm. You can see France uh, is the blue one. They have the, the, the x-axis uh, as, as wide as Germany, but the y-axis is much lower. The carbon emission, carbon intensity is much, much lower than Germany. And because of this reason, they have a very low emissions. Countries that have lower emissions than France are countries that are much smaller, with mm-hmm. way, way smaller energy consumptions. So France has definitely the lowest CO2 f- divided by energy, by total energy emissions of all. Thank you, Mesmer Project. Thank you. No, that was great. Really informative. So I want you to secure your dream. 
I want you to get all the support you need to become an incredibly powerful advocate. So where can people find and support? So I have a Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash Nico Diamond. It doesn't have the name of my page, uh, I believe yet, because uh, I started the Patreon back then and it doesn't allow you to change your name uh, so easily. However, I'm going to, I'm in the process of changing it. It will become patreon.com slash. I have, I have a Twitter profile, which I use mainly in English. So if my, if your uh, viewers uh, and uh I don't know, people who download the podcast want to follow me uh, on Twitter. It's uh, Atomic, The Atomic Advocate, L'Avvocato Atomico. And uh, I do a lot of posting in English there. The other pages are mostly in Italian. I have now also a Twitch channel with, where I stream and I often invite guests. And I'm planning to invite some international guests for some English streaming too. I'm in the process of, process of asking Dr. Jerry Thomas if, you want, if she wants to join me. Nice. Uh, for an interview and also i would like to to ask uh, james hansen if she, if he would like to to come and uh, have a conversation on streaming with me right now i'm inviting italian people like uh, mm-hmm. as i said university professors next week i'm gonna host a professor of botany to talk about gmos oh nice good which has good. the other you know big big theme of, of eco-modernism and you know rational environmentalism absolutely and, uh, And that's That's awesome. So everybody go to the show notes. If you can support Luca, this is very important work and follow him on all of his stuff. I think it's really important that all of us around the world link up with each other, help each other, talk with each other. And that's why I was really excited to have him on today. So Luca, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you actually for having me, uh, for hosting me. It was a pleasure talking to you and I wish all the best to all your viewers and listeners. And and, yeah, exactly. We'll leave it there on a positive note. So everybody stay strong, stay sharp and stay radiant. We will see you next week.